Coming up this week on Breaking Badness. Today we discuss To Patch a Predator, a double header on firewall vendor vulnerabilities. Next up, Spring has sprung a security advisory. And of course, our fun game, Two Truths and a Lie. With that, Breaking Badness is next. Welcome to Breaking Badness, episode number 117, recorded on April 4th, 2022. I'm your co-host, Kelsey, hit a home pun, LaBelle. With me, co-host Taylor, RCE for you and me, Wilkes Pierce, and last but not least, Tim, firewall with me, Helming. Welcome, welcome, welcome. All the Twin Peaks reference. Mm-hmm. Hey, Kelsey, I also love the baseball pun. It's that time of year, isn't it? Is it not? Yeah. Yeah, it is. It, it, it's time for, for the baseball, for the, the mitts and the, the baseballs and the bats and um, the, peanuts the fences. And the Cracker Jacks and, mm-hmm. the, and the beer. Yeah. Yeah. It, I don't it care is. if I ever go back. <laughs> <laughs> I have not been to a Major League Baseball game in a really long time. I mean, like it wasn't just pre-pandemic. It was a few years before the pandemic as well. So uh, I don't know. We could do we could do a whole um, non-infosec uh, breaking badness on baseball this week on sports with breaking badness. Sports. Arguably, Tim, since we're in Seattle, you would have only been able to see about half of a major league baseball game. A hundred last oh few my seasons. God, I can't. I can't but tell hey. you how true that is. I mean. You know, for anybody that isn't <laughs> following or hasn't followed the Seattle Mariners, they're a well-known farm team in Major League <laughs> Baseball that sometimes <laughs> seems to pretend it's a Major League team. Uh, but only in 1995 or 2001 did that really look like it was potentially true. Yep, that's uh, that's our lot in life. But we have the, uh, not we, you both have the Kraken now. Yes, yes. Uh, Who are all... somehow worse. The, oh, yes. no. Yeah, but but your first year as an expansion team, you know, uh, expectations are not very high, and I think that's reasonable. You know, if we're sitting here in ten years and they still are terrible, then uh, that's going to be depressing. I'm sure their stats will hockey stick. Ah, ah, ah. <laughs> They've got goals. <laughs> you better puck and believe they do. <laughs> we got to put all this on ice. More pumps. <laughs> Oh gosh! All right, we should we should stop it there. I don't think you can beat Taylor's pun unless somebody wants to take a shot, but I certainly don't think I'll be able to. <laughs> Hold on, Tete. Um, excellent. Well, let's let's take a break from our sports podcast to talk about info security. So, per usual, we have two articles this week. The first is to patch a predator, a double header on firewall vendor vulnerabilities, and so we're we're doing something a little unusual today. We're covering a rare combo story because two different firewall vendors had the guts them vulnerabilities, and that's Sophos and Zyxil. Um And correct we, me, anybody, if I'm saying that incorrectly. We might say it's a double header. A double header. <laughs> uh, yes, and, and I'm not going to correct you. Zyxel, Zyxel, it's a real potato-potato possibility <laughs> here. But I, I'm, I'm good with Zyxel. I think that's what I've heard the majority of people call it. You know what I love is when people try to 
express like data data potato potato over text and they're like yes potato potato or potato potato depending on how your mind reads it but it always cracks me up when that is oh that's uh, a good point that <laughs> doesn't really work that point. well <laughs> then there's also the argument about you know are you going to be pedantic about using data only as a plural and i will admit that the language nerd part of me dies a little bit inside every time data is used as a singular even though i do it myself because it's so uncommon to use it as the plural but little little part of me dies inside oh my gosh i was this old this days this number of days old when i learned that that's the actual difference between those two things well technically a singular piece of information would be a datum and together you have a lot of data, but you know. Oh my gosh! Ordinary people don't don't adhere to the Latin root of the or the Latin origin of the word. So I think it's okay. Now, in the the Skittles candy, does anyone know what, what an individual <laughs> Skittle is is called? It's not called a Skittle. Is it a skit? Mm-hmm. All. It's called a lentil. Oh. Is it really? Mm-hmm. I love that. <laughs> do, do you think that uh, Marshawn Lynch knows that? Yeah. That he's, yeah, he's getting showered in Skittles lentils. That's right. <laughs> he, he's, if anybody's a stickler on this, I bet it's him. That's right. <laughs> I've been wondering, There's, I promise I'll segue into this article, but there's been a lot of conversation around beast mode in the InfoSec space. And I just wonder if those people are big Marshawn Lynch fans or I, I, don't, I don't know. Yeah, they just randomly heard it on some sports ball broadcast at some point. They were learning about lintel. Well, that's a cool sounding term. (laughs) Beast mode with a three instead of an E. Gotcha. Oh, boy. So, okay, so let's talk about these vulnerabilities. And first of all, Zyxil is just, it's, how many points in Scrabble would that be? That's a a winner, winner. Chicken dinner. It would be so perfect if it, but it's a proper name. So, (sighs) I guess not legal in most in most jurisdictions, but, uh, but yeah, it sure would be. Well, I know Tim, we don't do this a lot where we, we talk about two articles because one is already so heavy in terms of what to get through for our listeners. But, um, you used to work in this, this world we're talking about, uh, the firewall, the firewall world. Wow. That's a tongue twister, but can you share a little bit about, um, about, this whole vulnerability challenge with firewalls for the folks who are listening. Well, yeah, of course. And there is a lot of terminology that's firewall adjacent, shall we say, out there. So let me break it down for you. Let me disambiguate some things. So the fact is, uh, in most organizations, uh, especially larger ones, it's fairly rare to see a device that's a simple firewall in the old sense, which was basically a packet filter that said, these IP addresses can send traffic to these other IP addresses over these ports and protocols. Nowadays, you have a pretty sophisticated set of devices that do a whole lot of different functions in one box where box could be actually a hardware box or a virtual machine software package. So you'll hear terms like next generation firewall or NGFW or UTM or unified threat management. And those are Swiss army knives of different functions like packet filtering and other kinds of routing, which includes VLANs and other sophisticated routing protocols, VPNs, uh, 
failover for when one of them dies, like a hot failover, so the other one takes over. And a lot of specialized packet inspection with antivirus and anti-spam and anti-malware, reputation lookups, file sandboxing and detonation, email quarantine, SSL teardown and inspection, cryptographic hardware acceleration. Should I keep going? Anyway, you get the picture, right? These devices do a lot of security things. So there's a pretty large uh, software surface area to try to keep bug free. And a lot of these are also running various packages that are OEM'd from other providers. Like maybe they get their antivirus from an antivirus provider, even though the firewall itself is built by a different company. So it's a whole heck of a lot to keep after as far as code bases. Tim, hearing you list all those things off, I mean, I already knew that we were contrarian as an industry, but we're anti a lot of things. Are, do we have any <laughs> any pro terminology? Yeah, what the heck are we in favor of? <laughs> yeah, not much. No one should connect a computer to the internet ever. It's just <laughs> terrible. So we're yeah, pro isolating devices. Yeah. <laughs> Been saying that for years. That's right. <laughs> Oh geez, well, well, thanks Tim for clearing that up because, like, yeah, as you're saying, <laughs> clarity through more things to learn. Um, <laughs> but like I mentioned, there are two vulnerabilities today we're going to talk about. So, can you give us a brief overview? Let's start with the the Sophos vulnerability. Yeah, sure. So, and <clears throat> I'll start by stating the obvious: the firewall, which will. Go ahead and just use the term firewall, despite all the complexity. So the firewall is a pretty bad place to have significant vulnerabilities. And if you think about the old castle and moat analogy, where your protected environment is the castle and the moat protects you against all the invading hordes from the outside world, which is a deeply flawed analogy at this point with all the complexities of networks. But let's just stick with that for a minute. So in, in that analogy, you would be like the wrong party getting the drawbridge controls or the moat draining of all its water. So the Sophos issue here is, and I'll just quote them directly, an authentication bypass vulnerability allowing remote code execution was discovered in the user portal and web admin of Sophos firewall and responsibly disclosed to Sophos, which we always do love to see. Now, uh, we'll get on about whether that actually means something in the wild. Hint, it does. But uh, for most of these firewall devices, um, uh, they have these kinds of functions, these user portals that can be used for authentication to permit things like connecting to the corporate VPN or being allowed to surf the web via the web filtering. I forgot to mention that's another thing that these devices do. And the web admin portal is a browser-based configuration UI that the firewall admins use. <clears throat> Let me try that again configuration UI that the firewall admins use to change settings on the device. So when you can bypass authentic authentication for these things, you have the potential for a malicious party to change firewall settings or to grab packet captures off the interfaces or logs or any number of bad things. And most chiefly, you know, by changing settings, of course, they can create nice pathways for themselves right into the protected environment. And the firewall config also amounts to a super useful map of the protected environment as well, which saves time on pesky tasks like running network scans. Ah, yes, the pesky tasks. All right, well, let's let's talk a little bit more about the next bug, which is for Zyxil. What's going on over there? 
Yeah, so actually these are similar in that both of these cases uh, allow an attacker to gain administrative access to the device. So the downstream effects of the Zexel bug are essentially the same as those of the Sophos one, with undoubtedly some variations in the kinds of things you can get from the device itself in terms of that network mapping or packet captures or logs or whatnot. But basically still the mob with the pitchforks and the torches has the ability to lower the drawbridge and enter the castle in both cases. I'm having this funny memory, Tim, of the early, early days of Breaking Badness. And I feel like one of the terms that we kept using was a security moat. I don't know if that's ringing a bell for you. Um, but We uh, certainly might have, yeah. Security moat TM, um, dibs. We'll, we'll have to do something with that. Um, but given there are two of these and they're awfully similar, how critical are these vulnerabilities? Because I know CISA actually issued uh, to be, um, <laughs> let me just do that. Again. Issued? Issued. <laughs> so CISA actually issued a warning to private and public sector orgs to prioritize patching. So you know that's some uh, serious stuff. Uh, but Zyxel regards the severity of theirs as like a 9.8 out of 10 on the security rector scale. Um, what are your thoughts on why CISA hasn't issued a warning regarding their bug? Yeah, well, coincidentally, by the way, it's worth noting that the NIST CVE rating of the Sophos one is also a 9.8 out of 10. Now, two different parties uh, offering those ratings. But now as to why uh, CISA, here's another potato potato, but we'll continue. As to why they targeted one but not the other, I can only speculate on this one. But it may be that uh, Zexel tends to focus on the lower end of the market, including like home office devices or those for more small to medium enterprises, and Sophos has gear for those markets too, but tends to focus, uh, at least they did back in the day, a little more toward larger enterprise, uh, that end of the continuum. Um, another possible reason for this could be that government agencies just aren't using the Zyxel gear and they're using Sophos gear. I doubt that they would ever make it public what specific gear they're running and probably the agencies have a lot of latitude to pick their own stuff or at least some so that may not be the reason but it's it's another possibility or you know it may be that simply because there were uh, specific reports of exploits of the sophos vulnerability in the wild i have not seen any reports of the zyxel one being exploited in the wild which doesn't mean it's not happening but i haven't seen those uh, but it's also worth noting to date that where those exploits of the Sophos bug were being observed was primarily in South Asia. And they, they don't get more specific than just giving that region. Hmm. Interesting. I do like to imagine that it, this is totally off the mark in terms of the tone for these ratings for CVEs, but I do like to imagine like five people holding up giant numbers like one might in the olympics um when rating although that might Wait. give threat actors the wrong idea <laughs> i i thought they did convene people uh, in a room that did that no they oh. don't they don't oh you know oh. i think that's another thing COVID ruined honestly oh yeah, you're right <laughs> they used to all get together and do yeah this. now they just use index cards in front of their webcams yeah it's just not the same <laughs> yeah <laughs> No, it was a big deal the when they figured out the... It's like a big ceremony or something. But, yeah. you know, you may be right. Maybe they don't do it that way. Well, they still bring torches. Those are just also yeah. virtual. 100%. Yeah. Definitely. That's um, that way, too. Mm, yeah. Yeah. It's um, 
except for the the one person with the, the actual torch that they're in the the most vulnerable situation I guess. as an aside for a completely different kind of torch like the kind that plumbers use to you know sweat pipes together and stuff i saw the wonderful thing where there was a, a bracket on the wall and it had one of those on one side and a fire extinguisher next to it and it was labeled next to the torch more fire and next to the fire extinguisher less fire i I actually want to put that up in my house. I thought it was brilliant. <laughs> That's pretty good. I, I, um, there are many things I wish I would have kept track of, but ridiculous and hilarious signs are one of them. And, and also helpful. I would describe that as helpful. Another example of that is a child. I was shopping in Omaha, Nebraska, another story with my family and, Near the escalators, there was this really beautiful marble sign that said, for your convenience, an elevator is located in China. <laughs> oh, <And> I <laughs> hope you got it. I mean, that, I don't know if that was before phone cameras, but regardless, I hope you got a picture of that one one way or another. That's oh, yeah, on my awesome. flip phone. Somewhere somewhere in the recesses. It's like a 64 by 64 <laughs> pixel yeah. picture. It's pixel. You'll just have to take my word for it, but that's what it said. I promise. <laughs> oh, geez. My son got a hold one time of a bunch of paper uh, out of service signs at the place where he used to uh, dance. And he had a field day putting those all over the place on chairs and bathrooms. And I don't know what. He, uh, he had a real good time with those. <laughs> Such a prankster, that one. <laughs> I don't know where he got it. Yeah. <laughs> All right. So the I'm gonna I'm gonna try it. The CISA instead of CISA. Um, you know. We could just say Jen's crew. Yeah, Jen's crew. I like that. Um, JC for short. Um so Jen's crew provided a warning and um they they give the federal civilian branch agencies until I believe it was the 21st of April to secure their security systems, but there are ramif there are some ramifications. It sounds like if you aren't able to. So besides being vulnerable to attacks, are these fines from Jen's crew some uh, something to be wary of as well? Right. So. Uh so actually, something I was going to mention before, and I'll mention it now, is that it is possible with the, I believe this was with the Sophos device, and then this may be true, by the way, with the Zyxel ones as well, that they can auto-download and install hot patches. And so if you have that feature turned on, you're already covered. Um, and But a lot of organizations are very hesitant to do that because what happens if there's a busted patch? You know, you, you could really find yourself in a serious predicament. So it's not surprising to me if a lot of agencies do not have the auto patch thing turned on, and I wouldn't necessarily fault them for that. That's, a, that's kind of a tough decision. There's pros and cons either way. But so I read the actual orders, and while they're specific about what actions have to be taken and when, I did not myself see anything about what kind of teeth they put into the matter, uh, the enforcement actions or fines or whatnot. So I think the main exposure here is simply the exposure of the device and what that implies for unauthorized access to protected networks. Excellent. Well, Tim, to, to put a wrap on this duo conversation, our double header, what are these companies telling their customers to do to protect themselves? 
well, you know, guess what? Patch your stuff <laughs> and <gasps> expose services to the internet unnecessarily. I mean, they, you know, they do, as I mentioned, uh, whichever vendor, I think it was Sophos, but whichever the vendors has the, the automatic uh, uh, hot patching capability, they said, do that, or if you have it turned on, then you're already safe against this. But it, it is those two things, patching and not exposing services to the internet unless you really have to. Now, you know, I know that in some ways this is just totally anticlimactic, but in other ways it's enormously important. So specifically, in terms of exposing services to the internet, in my opinion, you're playing with firewalls. If you have your device's configuration UI exposed to the internet, even with strong passwords or multi-factor authentication, because guess what? Authentication has its own vulnerabilities sometimes, just like it does here, right? So uh, a better approach here is to allow configuration of the firewall only from inside the protected environment. And you can do that remotely in a fairly secure way by using a VPN and the big dogs like uh, generally like doing IPsec VPN as their protocol suite versus SSL VPNs for really sensitive things. And yeah, those VPNs can be cracked as well, but that's a, generally a steeper climb for a would-be attacker in most cases. Now the user portals on the devices, that could be a little trickier since in the world of especially extensive work from home, there may be needs for users to get to that portal from the internet. But you know, similarly to the firewall admin UI, it would be better to have them connect to IPsec VPNs um, if the uh, you know if that's possible if that's something that the device supports rather than having that user portal exposed out there on the internet. So um, yeah, that's it's it's very commonplace advice, but that doesn't make it any less valuable. Yes, indeed. Well, Tim and Taylor, it's time for you both to prepare your comically large notepads for your hoodie ratings. Um, mm -hmm. For those who are not familiar, these hoodie ratings, um, it's a scale of zero to 10. Zero is essentially neutral. 10 is very bad. And we're playing off the cliche of a defender or a hacker in a hoodie. So how many would it take to solve your problem, remediate, etc.? So um, we're, we're doing something, again, a little abnormal to talk about two separate vulnerabilities, but we're just tying them right together. So um, given their similar ratings and advice and uh, what we discussed today, Tim, I'll just start with you. What would you rate this at, these, these vulnerabilities for Sophos and Zycel? Well, uh, you know, in general, I'm going to say these actually aren't too high from the standpoint of, which is going to sound weird because the vulnerabilities got that 9.8 out of 10. So as far as the severity of something that can happen to the firewall, I agree that that's very high, but these have both been patched and the, you know, those patches are widely available. And it does sound like the level of exploitation in the wild is somewhat limited at this point. And so those have kind of a, a calming effect on the hoodie rating. So I'm going to go with for the world at large, I'm going to call this like three hoodies. Excellent. Excellent. How about you, Taylor? Yeah, it is tricky. You know, anytime you're talking about being able to bypass a firewall or <laughs> right, like uh, once you start messing with that, the, the like my kind of cause for concern goes up. 
Um, I, yeah, but yeah, I'll go like four and a half hoodies. I'll go four and a half. Still pretty close. It's not like end of the world or, or anything, but it's actively being exploited. Um, you know, there are going to be folks who don't patch. <laughs> uh, Never. Yeah. yeah, I mean, when I was in Firewall World, it's true. There, there were organizations that I worked with and, and it was definitely more than a handful who had, they would patch like a couple times a year and that was it because if they had a known good configuration, they wanted yeah. to stick with it. Now, granted, if you get a 9.8 out of 10 vulnerability on that device, you are probably going to break that <laughs> once every yeah. six months uh, patching rule. But, but again, what it means is they probably don't have the automatic install turned on. I think Firewall World is a great concept for a security-themed escape room. I would Ooh. like to see that in practice. I, I realize I've been pronouncing that wrong all this time. I, kept, <laughs> I was calling it escape room. Listen <laughs> Me to <too>. how, <laughs> how provincial I sounded all these years. I am embarrassed. <laughs> escape. The best. Yeah, it's one of the best Finding Nemo quotes i have to say it lives lives on in infamy and cybersecurity podcasts now i guess excellent well thank you tim and taylor let's rotate into our second topic du jour which is spring has sprung so we've got a security advisor here yeah and we're talking about um spring but not but not that kind not the april shower you know showers bring may flowers and the allergy-inducing sense, um, but more so spring. And let's start with what spring is in the context of info security. Well, it's a season. Uh, no, no. <laughs> Today uh, on Breaking Badness, we talk about one of four seasons. <laughs> it's the time of the season for hacking. There we go. <laughs> So, you know, we are going to continue our theme of jamming two different vulnerabilities into the same article. Um, so, uh, so Spring itself is a, a Java framework. It has been around for going on 19 years now. Uh, so old enough to, to drive, but not quite old enough to drink just yet. But uh, it's, it is in, in use and allows folks to build uh, enterprise-grade web apps uh, in Java. You know, easier than, than writing all those wheels yourself from scratch. Um, and yeah, so it's been around for quite some time. An important distinction, old enough to drink, or sorry, that's opposite. Old enough to drive, <laughs> not old enough to drink. Well, in, in Canada, it can drink. That's and true. In, in probably most parts of Europe. <laughs> well, wait, no, I thought you said it was 18. So it's going to have to wait one more year. It was 19. Can oh, it's 19. I missed, yeah. I missed the number. Yeah. No, you're right. Keep, <laughs> I feel like keep, someone keep over there. Keep out of Canada. <laughs> yeah. <laughs> oh, boy. Okay, so Spring had a rough week last week, to say the least. So can you talk a little bit more about the exploit published on GitHub? Yeah. So kind of initially, there was a, uh, an exploit in the POC published on a GitHub or on Twitter that linked over to, like, had some screenshots of an exploit for Spring uh, that then was deleted uh, by, the, by the author. 
not too long after that. And then everyone was kind of like, hey, wait a second, what's going on here? We got to try to reverse this thing and see what's going on. So initially, uh, you know, the, the thoughts were that, oh, this is a very like, I think someone called it like spring four shell as like a, a play on the log four shell debacle that we had back in December, uh, which feels like a million years ago at this point. Um, but yeah, so, you know, that, that was the initial post was, Hey, here's, uh, a proof of concept for vulnerability in this framework. Um, and then folks kind of set out to figure out how that, uh, how that was, was put together. Um, and so that led to, uh, like a, a whole, uh, other set of POC, uh, code getting developed, uh, and published on GitHub as well. But it also we should back up because there was another vulnerability published uh, around the Spring Cloud, um, which is their kind of attempt to make this stuff a little more like cloudy and agnostic about where things are run. Um, so there's a vulnerability there that was published, and then another vulnerability in uh, in the Spring Core, which is kind of the, the basic building block of their framework. Uh, the Spring Core one is the one that was published second. That got all of the press and then got, you know, dubbed the spring for shell. Uh, but uh, yeah, it's kind of a, a bad week for the, the folks at spring and also coincided with April 1st. Uh, so oh, no. it's really right. It's really tricky. Whenever you have anything coming around April Fool's Day, you have to like, like really look at <laughs> squint and look at these things very carefully. <laughs> oh, my gosh. Speaking of I don't know if you all saw any good April Fool's jokes, but I, I got got by Red Canary because I saw a blog being like, hey, we're from Suzanne over there. Hey, we're going to start a podcast. And I got super excited and like a bad marketer. I did not click through, just read the headline, forgot the date. And then the second I saw the mischievous look on Katie Nichols' face in the photo on the blog, I should have known that uh, it was, in fact, an April Fool's prank yeah they also said they were going to publish nfts on the attack framework oh that's right that's right <laughs> that is pretty good well now, played. i saw one uh, that was related to a piece of high-end audio gear which was pretty funny and, and i was taken by it at first and then i read a little more and went oh yeah maybe not <laughs> what are the what are those like tech company um, classic April Fool's pranks, I think is Google many, many years ago. And the prank was something like, in order to deploy infrastructure faster, you could order these kits that you flush down the toilet <laughs> to um, to replace Fios or something like that. It was, it was pretty good. I'm not going to lie. <laughs> they got me. All right. Anyway, so on the day before April Fool's, a.k.a. March 31st, Yes. <laughs> Spring released a security advisory regarding the vulnerability. So can you describe what was in that advisory? Yeah. So so basically they were saying like, hey, uh, for at that point, kind of the latest versions of the Spring Core, um, there were some issues with how uh, folks who were using Java 9 and up, uh, how their applications were processing um Basically, processing data flow uh, and like the, the the some of the checks that they had put in place for Java eight and below were you know to kind of prevent um, you know unsigned code or prevent you know any type of 
you know, maliciousness in terms of injecting things uh, were uh, able to be worked around on newer versions of Java um, in specific circumstances, right? So uh, also like the app had to be packaged as a WAR, so a web application format versus a JAR. Uh, so like there's, you know, there's these kind of self-selecting things where you kind of say, okay, well, if you're, you know, below Java 9, you're fine. Uh, if you're not packaging things this way, you're fine. Um, but, you know, regardless, they, they published uh, newer versions of Spring Core to help mitigate this um, because, the, you know, for those circumstances, this could be a very dangerous uh, bug or exploit. An additional whoopsie-doo-doo um, or unfortunate event, some might call, from this scenario <laughs> is that the sample code is also vulnerable. So what do those, uh, what do those implications look like? Uh, like in terms of like the, the, the POC that's published over on GitHub? Yes, indeed. Yeah. Um, you know, again, it was like, hey, this is targeting a very narrow framework, but the folks were trying to figure out kind of how they got to where they got uh, on the first thing that was published on March 29th. Uh, and that kind of resulted in folks discovering or rediscovering uh, some of these issues. Uh, and so, yeah, so this stuff was out in the wild um, for a, a couple of days before uh, the patches were available thanks to this. And Taylor, finally, what are the next steps for those spring admins out there? Yeah, you know, for sure, going through the official releases and the official uh, kind of explainers from the spring team, uh, patching everything, <laughs> which we always say this, uh, you know, part, it is ironic that, that Spring itself, one of the, the cool uses for it is to help kind of reboot web apps and update them without having to reboot a server. Um, and now we're going to have to patch everything and, and get things up and running. Of course, these are like, these were much larger problems, maybe 10, 15 years ago. Um, you know, things kind of uh, are, are, are built to be restarted a little more often these days, but not always in the enterprise space. Uh, so, you know, there, there may be some downtime for folks, but yeah, certainly patching. Uh, CISA has published uh, these, uh, you know, data on these as well. Um, so you've got uh, your CVE 2022-2963, uh, which is, you know, targeting the Spring Cloud Function Library. And then you've also got the 2022-22965, which is the Spring uh, for Shell <laughs> which you know i think it kind of caught that name to uh, by the folks who first published this or were looking at this but maybe i think a lot of folks have dialed back that uh, a little bit where it's like hey this is not quite as uh, this is not the the debacle that log4j was but certainly very concerning for applications that match the criteria for for vulnerability and everybody has those cves memorized by now surely um. absolutely yeah <laughs> They're and just the playing cards you know, they are just out. Sticking, yeah. <laughs> oh gosh. All right. Well, let's end here with our hoodie ratings. And Taylor, I will start with you. Yeah. You know, given that it could take some time for all this stuff to get patched out in the wild, I uh, you know it's still it, it's pretty interesting. I probably put this one around five hoodies. Um, you know, again, anytime you have. Uh, exploits against something as widely used as this uh, that are kind of published before the patches are out. That's a real problem. (laughs) 
Indeed. All right, Tim, would you agree with that? Rating a five from Taylor? In fact, I will hard agree. This is uh, a case where I, you know, I was, like we talked about at the front, I think everybody's been trying to figure out if, how big a deal these are, and I was going to hedge my bet and put it somewhere right in the middle. So, yep, I'm, I'm with Taylor. I think this is right at the midpoint of the scale. Five hoodies. A five it is. Perfect. All right, well, it's time for our game. Um, so we can deal with the burden of, of vulnerabilities <laughs> galore here. Um, so we're going to play this game that we do every week. It's called Two Truths and a Lie. You might have heard of it, but rather than playing the traditional style where we talk about ourselves, instead, one of us co-hosts every week is responsible for um, saying three different article titles. Um, and, and as Tim has mentioned, you can you can be a little creative and you can mush together your own title um, or titles. But of course, only one of those is a lie. And that is this week, Tim and my job to figure out which of three, which of the three articles that Taylor describes is a lie. Hit us with them. Okay. Article number one. The ICE ID, Initial Access Broker Group, returns with a phishing campaign targeting Zimbra collaboration tools. Article 2. FBI and international partners carry out Operation Eagle Sweep to combat business email compromise gangs. Article 3. Automated typo squatting attacks on 200 Plus, malicious packages flood the NPM code repository targeting Azure Cloud users. This is a tough one. This is. I, you know, I'm in last place. I got to bring it. At the <laughs> beginning, you are bringing it. If I get this right, it'll really, truly be luck and no, no skill or uh, hyper-informed nature of, of myself to uh, give the credit to. I, at first, I thought, Boy, the what what's the name of the Eagle thing? The Operation Operation Sweep. Operation Eagle Sweep. Operation Eagle Sweep. That sounded cheesy enough that I thought that's gotta be made up. And then I thought, you know, no, it's probably not. But I I'm gonna I'm gonna go with that one purely randomly, just thinking maybe they wouldn't use that kind of name. I don't know. I have no idea. Put me down for that one. Can you repeat the one that included Azure, Taylor? Yes. A large-scale typo-squatting attack saw 200-plus malicious packages flood the NPM code repository targeting Azure cloud users. Hmm. I'm going gonna, I'm gonna to double down with Tim. I'm going to go with Helming on this one. That one is... A true story that I plucked <laughs> from the headlines. Oh, well Operation done. Eagle Sweep. Our, our friends uh, in law enforcement uh, are undefeated at picking great names. Uh, no, the, the lie this week was the ICED ID initial access broker group returns with a phishing Oof. campaign targeting Zimber collaboration tools. They did return, but they were targeting Microsoft Exchange like they always do. Uh, well <laughs> done. All right, Tay-Tay. I see you. One. Well played. Oh, well played I, indeed. Finally, getting on the board. You're you're one uh, point away from double digit or quadruple digits and binary. 
<laughs> You're so close. <laughs> so close. <laughs> yeah, for those who don't look at the blog that goes along with this, uh, it's a good reminder that our we do keep the scores for Two Truths and a Lie in binary format because why wouldn't we? <laughs> yeah, of course. Just counting with integers is boring. <laughs> so... <laughs> Excellent. Well, I believe that's all we have for this week. We have a special surprise for you all next week, though. A special episode. See, coming back to the Cracker Jack theme, right? There's a special surprise in the box. <laughs> that's right. <laughs> that's right. Absolutely. What would our um, what would a prize look like at the bottom of a Breaking Badness themed Cracker Jack box? Ooh, that's a good one. I mean, I you know, right away, even though this is totally mixing brands, I would want it to be the 2600 hertz Captain Crunch decoder whistle of freaking fame. So, yeah, that's that's just what I'd want it to be. And and by the way, I'm old enough to remember, and boy, talk about dating yourself, when the toys in Cracker Jack boxes were not all just paper, like slips of paper. They were, you could get like, I don't know, some cheesy little car or something like that. Those days are long, long gone. Probably too many kids ate the toys and and there were problems with that. Such a bummer. Dang, they shouldn't make them so tasty then. <laughs> right? I mean, they, that cherry flavored paint on that Firebird was <laughs> irresistible. It was the lead in it for me. Mm. <laughs> Come for the cherry paint, stay for the lead poisoning. Oh, gosh. <laughs> Oh, boy. All right. Well, thank you both for a great episode. And of course, we'll be back next week with that um, special surprise at the bottom of the Breaking Badness Cracker Jackbox. <laughs> uh, toodaloo, everyone. Thanks, everyone. Ta-ta for now. That's about all we have for this week. You can find us on Twitter at Domain Tools. All of the articles and IOCs mentioned today will be included in our blog post, which can be found at domaintools.com slash resources slash podcasts. Catch us every Wednesday at 9 a.m. Pacific time when we publish our podcast and blog. We'll see you next week on another episode of Breaking Badness. Until then, remember, don't drink and click.